They flew back to Saigon June 1, 1969, after visiting several more camps behind the lines. Christie was exhausted. Even the park hotel room that had seemed so disheartening on her arrival in Vietnam now looked like a castle. She longed for a good meal and a good night's sleep. But the schedule kept her so busy performing in service clubs outside of Saigon that she had little time or opportunity for either. She noticed with dismay that she was losing weight again. Food and water seemed to be the biggest culprits. Baby, you don't look well, Lee told her after a show. I'm okay. She added, we only have a few more weeks on the contract, and I don't want to let the guys down. So they continued working the service clubs in the Saigon perimeter, always getting a good response, usually four ovations. Then, Christy was doing a noon show, and again she had gotten four ovations. Waiting in the wings, preparing to walk back on stage for her encore, she suddenly felt dizzy. Her clothes stuck to her thin body, and cold beads of perspiration began to drip down the back of her neck. The humidity seemed worse than ever. She thought she would smother with closeness. And her stomach. How could it be so sick, with so little in it? Realizing how sick she was, she turned to Lee and gripped his arm. I don't think I can go back on. Everything's going round and round. That does it, honey. I'm canceling the rest of today's shows and taking you to the hospital. You're going to see a doctor. It was the same thing, but this time the doctor took Lee aside. You've got to get her away from this country, Lee. I want you to get her on the next flight to the U.S. I know you're both professional people and you want to keep your word on the shows over here, but I told Christy and I'm telling you now, there are no drugs that can take the place of a proper diet and rest and relief from the tension she's under. You can fly her home now, alive, or you can ship her home in a pine box later. That's the choice. Even with Christie's life on the line, Tom Watchell at Lad Productions tried to hold Lee to the contract. It took hours for Lee to convince him that Russell and the band would stay. Even then, Watchell tried to pay Lee less than agreed. It wasn't until Lee threatened to sue that Watchell would settle for some cash and a balance to be deposited in Lee's bank account in Peoria. The last night in Saigon, Christie slept well for the first time in weeks. But a sleepless Lee sat at the dresser with a dim light burning and counted up the cost of the tour. In money, that is. The Tet Offensive cancellation, Eisenhower's death cancellation, Christie and Paul's illnesses had cost them a gross revenue loss of $28,900. His pencil scrawled across the paper. He looked at the painful figures. They had come to Vietnam undergone the hardships, the dangers, and risked Christie's life. They had worked long hours under miserable conditions, and it had all been for nothing. There was no profit. Their net loss was $12,500. Christie's deep breathing filled the room. Lee got up and walked to the window, looking out at the Saigon night. The rockets that by now were commonplace to him flashed across the sky. He shrugged his shoulders, forced a smile, and spoke softly to himself. We've been broke before and came back. At least Christie has brought joy to a lot of G.I.s. The next morning, they boarded the plane for their long flight home. Christie took her last look at the war-torn country that had almost took her life. The flight seemed endless, lasting close to 40 hours. But when the San Francisco skyline came up beneath the wing, Christie said it's like heaven to be back in America. Although it was a hectic tour, the smiling faces and the compliments from the G.I.s had made it all worthwhile. Lee was silent for a moment. Then he said, it may look silly, but you know what I'm going to do first, don't you? Lee, you're not. Are you? 
just watch me. They were among the first to deplane. Lee laughed merrily and knelt to kiss the ground in the midst of the scurrying feet. 